I just want to say up top, happy Aries season, happy spring, happy International Astrology Day, which I just learned from my Llewellyn astrology calendar is March 20th, the first day of the astrological new year, corresponding with the first degree of Aries. So happy new year. It's spring and we can all take another fresh start. And it was a fresh start as Pluto moved into Aquarius on March 23rd. This, to me, really feels like the beginning of a new era. And maybe you can feel it too. It's not entirely positive in the way that I'm picking it up, but I'm definitely feeling change in the air. And something is stirring. Gears are moving. And I have a feeling that things are about to start happening at a quicker pace. The future is coming into view and it's a little bit frightening. I feel like it needs a little zhuzhing up, a little bit of a woman's touch, perhaps. The future is feeling really masculine, really Martian, and I think we need to bring in a softer, Venusian, earthy counterbalance, some Taurus energy in the mix. But the main thing I want to talk about is Pluto's ingress into Aquarius, because astrologically, it is a pretty big deal. Pluto's going to spend the next 20 years in Aquarius, so this is ultimately an era-defining transit that I'd like to explore. So let's talk about Pluto, the planet, how Pluto behaves, what Pluto symbolizes, and what Pluto's role is. Astrologically, Pluto's nature is of transformation, destruction, death, and rebirth. Pluto represents the regenerative urge which creates new life from old. Pluto is also the planet of power, power dynamics, and struggles for power and control. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes, Pluto reminds us of the inevitability of death in the life cycle and of the inherent regenerative creative energy that underlies our universe. I have recently gotten even deeper into Elias Lonsdale's writings and the star genesis branch of astrology. Very exciting stuff. So I'm going to read the Pluto passage from Elias Lonsdale's book, Inside Planets. In 1930, when Pluto was discovered, there was in the collective unconscious or undersoul an apocalyptic atmosphere of strange, uncontrollable events springing up everywhere, forcing everyone to pinch themselves and ask whether they were dreaming or whether instead something very strange had gotten into the way of the world. Ever since that time, many people have been forcing themselves to grow accustomed to this apocalyptic flavor in contemporary events. The planet Pluto has the kind of infiltrating force that grows stronger the deeper down you go into the hidden places of shared feelings and physical densities. Therefore, the outer surface impact of Pluto is only the tip of the iceberg, and it is most appropriate to follow Pluto downward to the bottom of the world in two stages, first following the negative Pluto downspin, and then on a separate journey, tracking with the positive, penetrating force of Pluto. The negative Pluto is awesome and dreadfully, terribly big. It involves an antichrist power gathering deep under the earth in a concerted attempt to petrify the human being into a shell of utter negation. 
This force operates on conscious, subconscious, personal unconscious, and most of all, collective unconscious levels. Overtly, it functions by turning consciousness into an extraordinarily manipulative, controlling worldview, and then commencing an operational dissemination of that worldview. Subconsciously, negative Pluto generates a debilitating tension and strain that, when made constant, becomes the basic shared current in decadent civilization. It sows seeds of suspicion, violence, and paralysis of will. In the personal unconscious, negative Pluto turns the self against itself, in a drastic sense involving the bone-deep conviction that one is oneself the problem making everything miserable for all others around. This force has become of late almost universal. Finally, in the collective undersoul, negative Pluto is operating in its own element. There it forms a crystallized power network that attempts to take over all pivotal governments, businesses, and cultural forces, and turn them into insensate power grabbers who are deeply tugged to devour all that they contact and instate hatred as the law of the earth. That level is truly chilling, satanic, and beneath description. The positive Pluto is almost unknown in astrological circles, thrown in pell-mell with the negative Pluto, yet it comes from the opposite side and operates in a totally regenerative direction. On the conscious, overt levels, it is only beginning to make itself felt, manifesting as a holding of each one to purpose and inner will, directly in the thick of the collective chaos and suspicions. Subconsciously, positive Pluto forges a physical barrier to destructive invasions and renders one impervious to all negative influences. This shamanic initiation into the durable strength of staying with oneself is a remarkable power when mobilized, especially in building up reservoirs of unpolluted life force. On the personal and conscious level, positive Pluto becomes a distinct, palpable, utterly substantive remembering of who one is, why one came here, and most of all, precisely how to get on with one's core of destiny, regardless of conditions. This level is going to be much more powerful in the late 20th and early 21st centuries. Finally, in the collective undersoul, where Pluto is at home, positive Pluto is a linking into the galactic powers that counter the negative Pluto-Earth takeover attempt with a rekindling of the inner life, just when it was about to become extinct. But this inner life is not merely contemplative or meditative, or even a part unto itself at all. It is, rather, a core energy linking with evolutionary dynamics that recreate the human form, making it future-ready and inwardly alive in a way never before seen in the Earth. This deepest level of positive Pluto working will inaugurate the Aquarian Age in the second decade of the 21st century, that's now, and is already in place, on tap for those who can believe in and yield into the mutational stream that is, through Pluto, preparing humanity for the planet beyond Pluto, the one that will take hold of the Earth herself and reweave the human world in perfect harmony with she of the Earth. This book, Inside Planets, was published in 1995, so even though it's extremely relevant to our time right now as Pluto has just ingressed into Aquarius, and this book is talking about this time now when that transit takes place, it was written almost 30 years ago. So that's really the power of astrology, is to be able to look forward and back throughout time and see when energies are indicated to come into being, and not to see exactly what's ahead or exactly what is going to happen, but to have some ability to forecast the motions of space-time. And that is how astrology works, what astrology is. It allows us to tap into the when of it all. 
So this book I'm reading from was published in 1995, but he's talking about a transit that happened last week. We can have conversations that span decades or even centuries, and we can communicate about energies that haven't come to pass yet, about what will be, not only what has been. And by looking at what has been, we can begin to forecast what will be. This type of astrology that I'm doing is very different from popular astrology or even traditional astrology that I see most people who are interested and engaged in this field doing. This branch of astrology actually does have a name. I recently learned it. It's called Star Genesis Astrology, and it's actually quite different from traditional astrology. And me, I'm a little bit of a bridge, I think, between those two worlds because I use the rules of traditional astrology to practice a form of star genesis astrology, which is much more intuitive, and Elias Lonsdale refers to it as playing the chart like jazz, where it's different every time you look at it, and you can receive different messages, and learning to embody and inhabit the symbols and the stars in order to enhance your intuition and your ability to read the chart from an intuitive place. So let's talk about intuition for a second and psychic ability. I used to not believe in that stuff and actually be pretty afraid of it because, again, like I said, I grew up Catholic and I fear demons. I do not welcome demons into my space. And before I learned about the reality of demons and demonic energy and how to protect yourself from that and cast that away from you, I think I kind of intuitively picked up on the risk of playing around with the unseen realms and energetic beings that appeared from them. So I never really tried to hone my psychic ability until after I became an astrologer. And really not until I had a near-death experience that I had a preconception of that forced me to take my intuition seriously and to realize that it was a matter of life or death. Whether or not I could access my own intuition and whether or not I believed myself when my intuition presented itself to me. Ignoring my intuition almost cost me my life and that only needed to happen once for me to get the message. This is such a tangent, but that's pretty much all we do here, so... Okay, I should start by saying that, so I have like a full phobia at this point of cars and driving in cars and riding in cars. And I am very, very afraid of dying in a car accident. I almost died in a car accident when I was 17 and people did tell me that I should like learn to drive immediately after that happened and just get behind the wheel and don't let it stop you but I had other things to do so I never did that and I ended up moving to New York City a few months later and I never got a license so I still don't have a license I can't drive and I'm terrified of cars so that's the backstory just to set the scene for this next story I'm about to tell which happened, I think, in 2016. I weirdly, like, can't remember the exact year, and I've tried to pin it down, (laughs) and I think it had to have been 2016. Anyway, so in summer 2016, it was decided that I would take a trip with two other people who were brothers to go see their grandfather in Maine, 
and we were supposed to meet up in Manhattan and drive together in a borrowed car, which they were borrowing from their other brother, and drive from Manhattan to Boston, where we would meet up with one of their girlfriends who would drive us the rest of the way to Maine. As we get closer to the trip, the plan becomes more and more complicated. I'm getting messages saying things like we need to leave at dawn around 6 a.m. so that we can be on the road before any other cars are on the road when there's no traffic. Like, why is that? Things like this. Just a few messages like that. Just a few details of the trip that just struck me as a little bit weird. Like, why would we need to get on the road that early just to avoid other cars? It wasn't a special day where there was going to be any more traffic than usual. So it was just a measure to avoid normal levels of traffic, which I thought was odd because it required us to basically get up at like four in the morning. So strange. That's really all I had to go on. And I was being assured that it was totally fine and everything about the trip was normal. About 24 hours before we were set to leave, I started to feel really ill in my stomach and feel like a really, just a really pervasive sense of gloom and doom. And it was like a black cloud came over me and I was bringing up to one of the people that I was going on the trip with that I felt like there was something off about the trip and I didn't feel good going on it. And they were reassuring me that it was fine and everything would be fine and it was an easy trip and there was nothing to worry about. But the feeling got stronger and stronger and I didn't trust myself at the time. I thought that I was being crazy and irrational and that I just needed to get a grip. So that's what I did. And then the next morning at 6 a.m. we met up at the garage where the car was and the driver, the one person between the three of us who had a license at the time, who was supposed to drive the first four-hour leg just to Boston to meet up with the second driver, started saying to the third person with us, okay, I'm going to need you in the passenger seat navigating and helping me with the road rules because I forgot to read the primer. And at this point, I actually started to cry and I was so afraid I felt like more afraid for my life than honestly probably any other time in my life. And we hadn't even gotten in the car yet. I'd been feeling this way for over a day. And then here it was, he was admitting that he didn't know how to drive because I had been feeling like just despondent, so sick to my stomach, having intrusive thoughts that he didn't know how to drive. And then I was going on this trip and there was something really wrong and that I was going to die if I went on this trip. And it was like a five alarm fire in my body that I was just pushing through, ignoring and trying myself to just get in the car and act like a normal person. And as we got the car and we got inside of it and we started driving, I became actually hysterical, hyperventilating and crying and just like freaking out and shaking. Within the first five minutes of being in the car, the driver had run three red lights And I was like losing my mind because I knew that this was going to happen. I knew that we were going to die in this car today because the driver couldn't drive. And here he was not being able to drive. And everyone had told me, no, he can drive. He can drive. And I was forcing myself to quell my intuition 
because logically everyone around me is telling me that this is fine and this is normal and there's nothing to worry about. So I must be the crazy one in this situation. I realized that me having a hysterical outburst in the back seat was actually making us unsafe on the road. So I made a choice to lay down and close my eyes and hyperventilate until I passed out. When I woke up next, we were at a rest stop and I was being shaken awake by one of my companions who was asking if I needed the bathroom or wanted anything to eat. And I said, no thanks, I need to just stay asleep until we get to Boston. And I went back to sleep. When I woke up next, we were stopped on the shoulder of the on-ramp of the I-84 in Connecticut. I was told that the gas pedal had stopped working so we couldn't accelerate and we had pulled over on the shoulder just in time before ending up in the middle of a four-lane highway. At the time, we had no idea what caused the car to stop working and I was just glad to be alive. I actually felt more peace when I woke up on the shoulder of the on-ramp to the highway than I had in the past 36 hours because what I had been so afraid of had come to pass and I was still alive. While we were wasting time trying to get a hold of AAA, a state trooper came by and risked his life backing up on the on-ramp to push us forward into a safer place in like a tiny little triangular median in between the on-ramp and the highway. And we waited there for about an hour for a tow truck and made it to the Honda dealership of wherever we were in Connecticut. And later on, we found out that it was because the driver didn't put gas in the car and let the car run out of gas on the highway. So my intuition was spot on. I was literally about to die that day because the driver of the car couldn't drive. And I knew that. I knew that for at least a day before I got in the car and embarked on the trip. And still, I did it. Still, I risked my own life and the lives of my companions not listening to my intuition when I knew exactly what was about to happen to us. I didn't know the exact details that we wouldn't put gas in the car. I didn't know exactly how it would play out, but I knew the fundamentals. I knew enough to make a better decision than I made that day. And I didn't because I ignored my intuition and my pattern recognition abilities because those skills are undervalued in our society. And I have always been told to ignore those things in favor of what's socially acceptable and socially normal. And I almost died. And so that day, I am grateful for that day because I learned an extremely valuable lesson. And I can say it changed my life to understand that my intuition and my pattern recognition were operating off of real things that my subconscious was picking up on. And that just because those ideas weren't at the forefront of my mind because I wasn't seeing the evidence of it right in front of me didn't mean that I didn't have the evidence. I had amassed enough evidence over time to understand that no one in the car could drive. No one in that car was capable of driving us to Boston. Over time, I had amassed enough real information in my subconscious to understand that. But when it came down to it, in that situation, with everyone telling me, no, this person can drive, it's fine. I thought, well, they're not gonna risk their own lives. You know, this family isn't gonna send two of its members to death today. I have nothing to worry about. And I squashed my own intuition and it almost killed me. So I will never do that again. And not just myself, because I was in the car with two other people and I'm 
absolutely sure that had that accident come to pass, it would have been a multi-car pileup on the highway, and it wouldn't have been just us that died that day. So the moral of the story here is obviously trust your intuition, but also I hope that we can see from this one small example a little glimpse into how the power of intuition actually works and how it's the subconscious picking up symbols and disparate bits of information over time and how that fertile ground becomes the basis for your intuition, which delivers you messages at the right time to help protect you from dangers in the world. And also what I hope we can take away from this example is that you can feed your intuition by seeding and fertilizing that subconscious field. That's going to be a big part of becoming your own astrologer or becoming your own creative force. I'm not intending for all of my listeners to become astrologers. Far from it. I believe that each one of you has your own unique energy that is creative, that is generative, that the world needs, and I want to help you tap into that and unlock it and unleash that creative potential and start using it. So whatever it is that you're doing, start feeding your subconscious in service of that thing, and then trust the intuitive messages that you get as you move through life. That's kind of the basis of magic also, is training ourselves, ritualistically sharpening our focus toward the thing that we're aiming at. So we seed our subconscious field, and then ritually we bring the forefront of our consciousness and our mind and train it on our target. That helps our subconscious to steer us onto courses that will take us toward that end. We need to keep our eyes on the destination more than we're doing, which requires having a vision of the future. That's really hard for me personally. I really struggle with conceptualizing my own future or even the future in general, which I think is why I spend so much time trying to do that. It's sort of compensating for a tendency that I have to not think about what's coming next and to just ruminate on the past or languish in my present physical state. So anyway, back to Pluto. Now that Pluto has ingressed into Aquarius, it's a fantastic time for all of us to look around, survey our worlds, and use our intuition and seed our subconscious with the details of what's happening now in our respective worlds. Also, if you do want to be your own astrologer, Look at where Pluto is in your chart, look at what house Aquarius is in your chart, and that's where the Pluto ingress is going to be influencing, and you'll get a sense for the area of your life that's up for profound and dramatic transformation. I do want to talk a little bit about what I'm seeing at this time and noticing and connecting to Pluto in Aquarius and how I'm thinking about Pluto as a signifier and what I think this transition means. And to give us a little bit of a head start thinking about Pluto in Aquarius, I do want to read the entry for Pluto in Aquarius from Elias Lonsdale's Inside Planets. I just got this book and it's so awesome. It has like energetic readings that are less dense and obscure than the Inside Degrees readings and they're much less cryptic but it's got readings for each of the planets and then each of the planets in each sign. 
and in each house. And I think it's great for astrologers who are interested in this kind of like intuitive type of reading to have this reference book in particular because it does give... I think really awesome, cool, unique readings for the planets in each sign and in each house. So let's read Pluto and Aquarius. In most of the late 1700s, Pluto sparked the deeper vibrational regions of the sign of Aquarius. During that time, the planet Uranus was discovered, beginning the modern era on the note of revolution. In the United States and in France, the attempt was made to overthrow monarchy and absolutism and to bring in the new world order. Both attempts were premature and led to a damming up and hardening of the revolutionary impulse. However, the true revolution broke out in the form of the Romantic movement, and that current fulfilled the inner vision of Aquarius. One pivotal insight made Romanticism so relevant and quickening to the pulse of human evolution that it has remained the single counterpoise to all raw materialisms ever since. That insight was that every kingdom of nature is lit up from within itself by a regenerative life current that defies quantitative analysis. The human response to that wondrous discovery was ecstatic, celebrational, and marked by a sense of inward satisfaction and fulfillment in being allowed to walk the living earth freely. At the very center of this breakthrough was the startling event of a new planet appearing before humanity's eye, named Uranus, to indicate that a totally other reality was looming into view. This new planet refocused the cosmic dimension of human experience in the Earth by opening wide the scope of humanity's knowledge frontier and challenging the bold ones to awaken unto totality once again, to investigate objectively all the known world with the understanding that once material existence could be comprehensively mapped, more central worlds would open up when Pluto next streams through the sign of Aquarius in the second decade of the 21st century. Which brings us to now, baby. I know he must be talking about now. Yes, it's technically the third decade of the 21st century, but I think that must have been a semantic space-out moment because Pluto is streaming through Aquarius for the first time since the 1700s right now. And this began just this year on March 23rd, 2023. 20s, second decade, I think it's understandable. Continuing on, this is a decisive shift. All of the planets are caught up in a cosmic dance signifying generational and epochal shifts to humanity. And we are living through one of the most major, if not the most major shift ever to happen to humanity. With the advent, rise, and now ubiquity of technology, with how quickly technology is evolving in the AI era that we're suddenly finding ourselves in, a new power paradigm has been born. There is a calling beyond what we can see for all of us to unite and remember what connects us, the fundamental interconnectedness of all things, of human beings to one another, to nature, to the earth, to the entire natural kingdom of earth. There is a calling for us to return to a memory of that and to begin operating in a way that honors that and to welcome the advent of a new earth paradigm. But that's still to come. Let's talk about now and what is happening currently, which is Pluto's ingress into Aquarius, marking the final stage of the Aquarian age taking over our earthly material reality. Aspects of our world and our old systems will be brought to the surface now in order to be raised 
to reclaim that energy to help generate the new world. But this is not promised. This requires our effort and our participation. And I would be remiss to not mention the extremely powerful and evolving forces that work tirelessly every day to divorce us from our true calling on earth and distract us with old programming and old thought patterns that must now be pruned away. And thinking about Pluto as a potential marker for the active power paradigm, we can extrapolate about the power paradigm that we're leaving and the one that we're entering. A Capricorn power paradigm rewards he who amasses the most resources and the most respect and recognition for his abilities. In a Capricorn paradigm, the wealthiest person has the power, or he who has the reputation of being the wealthiest person has the most power. In Aquarius, it's a different situation. Aquarius requires popular support to have power, and Aquarius suggests that power will be obtained through technology. He who controls the technology and who has the strongest social network will have the most power. These two can be combined. Social media? I don't think it's a coincidence that he who was the richest man on paper and had the reputation for being the richest man in the world is now heavily invested in demolishing social media platform that has been used for people to organize and inform each other about current events in real time. And I have my own problems with Twitter. I find Twitter to be truly a hell site in the most real sense of that word. But at the same time, I think none of us can deny that it was performing an essential function of passing around information in real time and that that function has been effectively neutralized by the current owner of the company. But yeah, we already know that there is a class of tech overlord, oligarch, plutocrat, however you want to call them, who have been and continue to attempt to empower themselves beyond what is appropriate or legal for a private citizen. And some of these men that I'm thinking of, I really think that these are guys who would totally run for president and probably win. But since they can't, they're invested in these really insane quests to gain power over the United States specifically or within the United States. And this is a little bit of a U.S.-focused podcast. I am a Western tropical astrologer using astrology to analyze primarily the Western world just because that's the perspective that I have. And hopefully I will be able to widen and expand beyond that at some point in the future. But until then, I'm primarily talking about the U.S. in today's conversation. Yeah, I guess I have an intuitive idea that there are people who have been relatively successful in the past power paradigm who are ready to make the most of the shift into this new one and who have primed themselves to seize power under the new conditions required. I think that the rise of populism, the hints of it that we've seen over the past four years as Jupiter and Saturn and even earlier Neptune and Chiron have moved through Aquarius, I think that they've been preparing and 
getting ready for that shift. I think more people than you know use astrologers and use astrology privately. More powerful people than you know. I mean, it's a fact that Reagan had astrologers, but yeah, thinking about Twitter and what's going on there brings me to another point I want to talk about, which is psychological and cyber warfare. Scary, but Pluto and Aquarius and the cycles that we've seen through Aquarius in general have indicated that that is going to be a major battlefield, and it already has been. I mean, like, psyops are real and they're happening all around you all the time we are constantly being manipulated and we always have been really but i think it's going to intensify potentially in this new era i have noticed that we are losing access to many parts of the internet that we have relied on to pass information between one another and it's getting harder and harder to use the internet to learn and to connect with like-minded people. The algorithms are messed up and broken, and it feels intentional. Also, there are people who are conspiring to seize power in really twisted and bizarre ways. There are like powerful people who operate on the radical fringe of society who amassed great power in the last power paradigm, who are prepared for the new power paradigm, and who are vying Game of Thrones style for the crown. These are foreign-born, wealthy men who own businesses in the United States who want to be king. And they have been trying to carve out little areas of places like Nevada, places nobody's really worried about, starting with just, oh, I'll just have my own town that's sovereign that I'm the king of. Starting with that, but they're also, some of these men are also engaged with trying to actually overthrow the American government and sow seeds of dissent against democracy among the general population. So these people are investing heavily in candidates who undermine democracy in one way or another. And they're also investing in reaching the minds of the general population through their favorite entertainment channels, their favorite alternative podcasts. They're finding ways to insidiously deliver their message via proxies and puppets that they pay and incentivize to sell out and deliver these messages that serve the agenda of these powerful people who are trying to seize power. So the main message that I'm picking up on, and there are plenty because it's not just one person doing this, but I'm thinking about one person in particular, and it's actually not Musk, it's a different guy, one person in particular who I've been tracking, and I'm not the only one, It's been publicized and lots of press has come out about this. But one person in particular who's been pushing anti-democracy, pro-monarchy rhetoric and trying to convince young intellectuals on the coasts and beyond, but specifically on the coasts and specifically in New York that I've noticed, but I'm a New Yorker, this is New York podcast. So if you are in another city and you've noticed something along these lines, call in. Please, I would love to hear about it. But in my city, I've noticed that this man has co-opted some of the local 
independent media outlets, independent podcasts and independent newspapers and substacks and things of this nature to pay and incentivize people who have large followings to start opining this specific rhetoric that serves this man's agenda of wanting to lead intellectuals of today toward a monarchic view of the future of the United States and to have the general public wanting to overthrow our democratic two-party system, which maybe does need to go, right? I mean, it's clearly not working. So it's a prime time, opportunities ripe for this type of an effort, right? I mean, the government's not working, the democracy is visibly broken, so it's hard to argue at that point. But so then they come in and they offer techno-monarchy as a solution. He who controls technology controls society. That's the vision that these people have. And that's actually being supported by the current astrology and the current energies that are available. So I think that these people do have access to astrologers. Either that or they're damn lucky to be in exactly the right position to do what they want to do. But cyber warfare and psychological warfare is real. And psyops are real. And you can't trust people and what they say necessarily. So if somebody that you've trusted or that you've listened to for a long time or been interested in for a long time suddenly changes their tune in a way that gives you whiplash, think twice about that because there really are powerful actors who are paying and incentivizing people to do exactly that in order to manipulate your mind to get you to give up your power in a very real way. So it's important to stay vigilant against these types. And it's important to think about how we as individuals and as a collective society can maintain our power at this time and leverage our power as a collective to aim at that point in the future that we desperately need to arrive at. A future where we honor the earth and we live in harmony with its capacity to provide resources for us. And for the rest of God's creations, I mean, honestly, how devastating is it to live through this time of mass extinction when we're seeing so much biodiversity leave the earth forever? We need to reimagine the future and we need to do it yesterday. This has been an ongoing battle and an ongoing source of tension in our world. 2021 saw three Saturn-Uranus squares as the defining aspect for the year. Those happen on February 17th, June 14th, and December 24th of 2021. And they symbolized points of extreme tension and conflict between Saturn in Aquarius and Uranus in Taurus. So this was like instability of resources and money with Aquarius people and technology we don't have enough resources to fund the society and the technology that our society is dependent on this has already come to a head and now it's time to define what our new world will look like and it's time to start working toward our vision of the new world there's been a tension brewing where Earth's resources are being so inappropriately used by society that there's a threat that Earth will no longer be able to sustain society, or even humanity, or even any life form at all. And yes, eventually the Earth will recover from whatever damage we do to her, but we will irreparably change the structure and the formation of the Earth. 
we inevitably do, and we have more of a choice as to what type of an impact we want to have than we give ourselves credit for. And it's not things like the zero waste movement or being especially green or any of these trendy signifiers of being earth friendly, but it really does come down to honoring that fundamental interconnectedness of all things and learning to live in tune with nature so that we can stop harming her. And it will be easy when we tap into our real selves and our real purpose and we let go of the old thought patterns and conditioning that are holding us prisoner in this current way of being that's so, so detrimental to the earth, our mother and host. We have to imagine it together. I can't imagine it alone and I can't bring it into being alone. I am just one cog in the big machine and so are you. So let's start turning in the same direction, get things moving. Another thing that I think is interesting about some of those men that I was talking about is that a lot of them fall into the category of being neo-reactionary or wanting to return to previous ways of being and governing as society. Reactionary is such a terrible word in that way because it sounds like something completely different from what it is, but it's not actually being reactive to things. It's actually wanting to go back to an old and outdated way of doing things. So it's like longing for a glorious past. Sorry about the siren going off, oh my gosh. Anyway, a lot of these guys are neo-reactionary and like kind of neo-feudalist, like that's the society they envision is one where they're monarchs and there's an upper noble class and then there's the serf class, which most of us will be a part of. And that's their vision. You can already see it coming to pass too. It's very easy to visualize that future and they have, they have a vision for it that they're currently working to enact. So it's important that we have a vision and that we're working to enact that as well. You know, I shouldn't even be talking about any of this. And I'm sure I should say that this is all alleged, alleged. You can read about this kind of stuff in outlets like Vanity Fair and the New York Times, allegedly. I'm not saying this, this has been alleged. But anyway, I think that it's so interesting and I just want to say short-sighted to just even be reactionary or neo-reactionary at all because time doesn't work that way. I know a lot of these thinkers behind this effort will say that liberalism and the idea that we're progressing no matter what is a complete farce, but I have trouble understanding what they, I mean, I shouldn't even talk about it. It's not worth humoring or sharing on my own pod. But yeah, I think it's funny to be a reactionary of any kind because it's like time doesn't move backward or stand still. So by default, we are progressing always. The motion of space-time is a forward spiral motion as the universe is expanding outward to encompass more. One thing about human existence is we're not allowed to stagnate, and we can't turn back time. In our world, stagnation equals rot, so I don't understand being any type of reactionary. I'm interested in progressive visions, and 
I think that we can and should take pieces of our past that we've seen work for humanity. Things that are tried and true, like honestly Native American indigenous practices of land keeping and community collaboration, but not failed shameful practices like repackaging neo-feudalism, which is what it seems we are doing. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about today is the upcoming eclipse season. So you may notice that I don't do much forecasting on this podcast. I do like to discuss major transits as they're happening and make my listeners aware of energetic shifts that are occurring, but I'm not much of a prediction person and I don't usually look too far ahead. But one exception to this is eclipses because eclipses are too powerful to ignore. Generally, the average person is going to feel lunar transits more intensely than any other planetary transit because the moon is the closest planetary body to us and represents our emotions and feelings and the way that we sense and perceive the world. Now, the moon changes sign every two days, so it's a moody planet for us to be picking up on. And some of us who are more lunar than others may notice that our moods cycle a lot throughout the month and shift as frequently as the moon changes signs. I think it can be comforting to know what sign the moon is in and to kind of check that against your own emotional landscape and maybe sometimes it'll fit and you'll get that astrology good moment where you get a little explanation for why you're feeling the way you are. But yeah, the basic pattern is that the moon changes signs every two days or so, covering the entire zodiac every month. And each month we get usually one full moon and one new moon, although there are exceptions to that. And then every six months we have what's called eclipse season because eclipses come in pairs. And so the period of time between two eclipses is known as eclipse season. These are predictable and they happen every six months. And in astrology, eclipses are known to expedite the inevitable and bring about endings. Eclipses ruthlessly clear out space and make way for new things to come into being. It's similar to Pluto in that way, but without the same kind of regenerative force that Pluto carries positive Pluto. There's not usually a positive feeling associated with eclipses. They can be scary, they can be sudden. Often we're not ready for the kind of change that they bring and they catch us off guard. But ultimately what an eclipse removes from our lives was always going to leave our lives. And the eclipse just sped that up so that we could more quickly start moving in the proper direction. Eclipse stories are what happens over the course of several eclipse seasons during eclipses that take place in the same sign or pair of signs. I'm gonna definitely do a follow-up to my how to read a birth chart episode because there are definitely some concepts that I left out for the sake of not overwhelming things that are pretty essential and fundamental to astrology. And one of those things is that all of the signs are axes and they come in pairs. So these are sister signs that are polarities on a similar theme. 
So for example, Aries and Libra are an axis together. They're sister signs and they're opposites. Aries is about independence and fighting and asserting your will and raw energy and creation. And Libra is about partnership and diplomacy and compromise and sharing and fairness. So it's like these signs will have very different approaches. They're sort of opposites and balancing forces against each other. So anyway, quick recap so that we can keep on this eclipse track. Signs come in pairs. Eclipses come in pairs. Eclipses impact pairs of signs and pairs of houses in the birth chart and expedite the inevitable and bring about endings in those areas of life. The next eclipse on the horizon is happening on April 20th. It will be a solar eclipse at 29 degrees of Aries, which is a critical degree. Zero degrees and 29 degrees of each of the signs are critical degrees, the first and last degree, where when planets ingress or egress into a sign, they're in this degree, and it's a very activated energy that's different from the rest of the sign because it's a burst of energy ingressing into a sign, or it's an agitated sort of energy getting ready to leave a sign. So that's what we have in this case, is that agitated, almost completion degree of Aries, that final degree of Aries. We have an eclipse taking place on April 20th. The next eclipse will be on May 5th at 14 degrees of Scorpio. It will be affecting the Scorpio-Taurus axis. So that speaks more towards affecting the financial sector. Eclipses don't affect everybody equally. It really depends on your unique chart and where your nodes are, as well as where your sun and moon are. So unless you have your sun, your moon, or your nodes directly impacted by degree, by one of these lunations, you're probably not going to be experiencing it as a really intense or dire transit. But if you do happen to be a Scorpio or a Taurus sun or moon or Aries or Libra, or you have your nodes in those signs, then this eclipse is going to be affecting you and you'll probably see some impact from it in your own life, something being cleared out or removed or something coming to an end. And if you have important placements or the nodes on the Scorpio-Taurus axis, you'll know already if this eclipse is going to be affecting you because you'll have felt the previous four eclipses, which took place in 2022, in April and May, and then in late October and early November of 2022. And one notable eclipse story that had a peak moment during the last Scorpio-Taurus eclipse on November 8th at 14 degrees Taurus was FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried and that whole crypto bank debacle. That was actually really interesting to watch in real time during the last eclipse season because earlier that year in April and May, Luna and Terra, I don't know, we don't really care about crypto over here, but for the sake of this story, these cryptocurrencies failed and went under, and that ended up kind of being a precursor for the much bigger failure of FTX later in November. And both of those critical points where those entities failed happened during the eclipse seasons. So 
we are expecting another eclipse impacting the same part of the zodiac on may 5th so that will be interesting to see kind of what that brings about and then for you personally if you are somebody who's going to be impacted by these eclipses again you know go with the flow be easy on yourself and understand that this is a period of release and what you let go of may come back to you in a new form that is much healthier for you so try not to cling to what is right now and try to be accepting of the flow and inevitability of change and again the time period for this next eclipse season is april 20th to may 5th eclipses are not a good time to manifest do not manifest under an eclipse just don't do it the energy is too volatile too unstable and too destructive you don't want that imprinted in your manifestation in astrology we say that anything and everything that comes into being has a birth chart and that that birth chart holds a promise for the lifespan and cycle of that thing and so if you bring something into being during an eclipse then it has that energy imprinted in its chart forevermore so that's the logic behind just wait to manifest until after eclipse season and then you'll be in the clear so i do support meditation and self-care and rituals around release during eclipses things that help you to wrap your mind around the things that you're letting go of and make peace with that process which can sometimes be painful and if you are creating and generating and manifesting during this time just understand that you are working against the energies around so if things feel harder that's why and you know just keep persevering and just know that brighter energies will follow in the not too distant future mars moved into cancer recently after a seven month stay in gemini so that's another energetic shakeup, and we can expect for the next two months or so that mars will be in cancer for our energy levels to fluctuate more than usual because mars dispositor will now be the moon and the moon moves through all 12 signs of the zodiac every single month so it spends only like two or three days in a sign mars represents our action our drive our will and the way that we exert our will the way that we carry things out how we do <laughs> that's mars so we've got moody mars for the next two months be easy on yourselves and maybe learn to work with the more lunar rhythms that mars will have for the next two months and just go with it and rest when you feel the need to rest lean into your senses and what you pick up on intuitively that you need in your lives and maybe give yourself that just for the next two months just while mars is doing its thing just try to tap in every day to your intuition and see what feels right to take care of in your life and on your to-do list trusting that throughout the month there will come a time for everything to get done i feel like i sound annoying saying this like out of touch but i want to keep expressing it so that i can get to the heart and the essence of what i'm trying to say which is maybe if you don't already do this normally for yourself experiment with a lifestyle adjustment 
where you do check in with your own heart and your own emotions and ask yourself what would nourish and nurture you and what would be something that you could do to take care of you today. And probably that will be some of your chores. Like I am a big self-care is ultimately chores type of a person. Like I think that self-care is present you, taking care of future you by doing hard things that will benefit you in the future and that if they don't get done now, future you is going to be screwed. That's self-care to me. So kind of in that mindset, thinking today based on my moods and my capabilities and how I'm feeling, what can I take care of in my life that feels right for me to do today? And kind of like, yeah, leaning into being sensitive to yourself in terms of your to-do list and taking care of all of the various things in your life that you need to deal with. And honoring that your capabilities might change day to day and that that's okay and that's normal and that it's not a cause for alarm. It's okay to feel low one day and great the next. And on the low days, take care of yourself, do chores at home that make your space more healing and more comfortable for you to be in and that make you feel like you're honoring yourself. And then on that better day, Go out into the world, take care of those things that involve dealing with other people or that are harder or more challenging for you just for the next two months. And I think that's something if you are going to participate in this idea, um, I think it might be fun for you to keep an eye on where the moon is every day this month and what sign the moon is in and maybe use that to help inform what you're going to take care of on your to-do list. Like when the moon's in Virgo, that's a really awesome time to do long-term planning or like a meal prep schedule and plan out your grocery shopping and stuff. Anything that involves organization or analysis, do it while the moon's in Virgo and see how it goes for you. Or when the moon's in Cancer, maybe stay home and do a bunch of cooking and maybe some cleaning and take care of your home and make your home feel better. And when the moon's in Leo, post a lot on social media and uh, hype up whatever you're working on or, you know, update your LinkedIn, whatever's like making you visible. When the moon's in Gemini, hang out with your friends, stuff like that. Moon's in Scorpio, stalk your nemesis or your ex, you get it. Anyway, on that note, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can call in. I'd love to start a dialogue with you. Call into the pod at 646-543-5017. And if you don't want your call aired, just say so in the message. Schedule a reading with me at metroastrology.com. And until next time, be well. Get out there and see some cherry blossoms if you have any in your area. Or get out there and enjoy the season changing wherever you are. I'll talk to you soon.